Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Joining us today will be the host of Mad Money on CNBC, Jim Cramer, as he talks about the intersection, stocks, sports, and fantasy football, all of his passions coming together on this podcast today. And we'll be joined by the former Eagles linebacker, Connor Barwin, who had the exact same injury as Dak Prescott and underwent the same surgery that Dak Prescott did with the same doctor. And we'll see what Connor Barwin thinks of Dak Prescott's timetable to return. And then we'll be joined by the ESPN statistical analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, as he looks ahead to the matchup between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, as well as the one Monday night between Andy Dalton and Kyler Murray, who will be making his first appearance on Monday Night Football. That's a look ahead. But when we look back, we see the weekend of week five, the Sunday of those games, being what I would call the single most significant NFL Sunday in terms of news and stories that the NFL has ever seen in 100 years. I don't believe that there's ever been a busier news NFL Sunday than the one that we just lived through. And all you have to do is think about it. I know that before this year, Sunday, before the games kicked off, usually was relatively calm. Now, you get COVID tests, you get positive results, you get buildings shut down, you get games rescheduled. And so that alone makes it busy. But let's just review for a moment everything that happened this past Sunday, which started very early in the morning when the Patriots had another positive test, which led to their building being shut down, which led to the postponement of their Monday night game against the Denver Broncos. That was how the morning started. Then we had another positive test for the Titans, who had 24 positive tests since September 24th. And those two stories carried on throughout the course of a morning on a day that later yielded these particular stories in no particular order. We saw Alex Smith come back after being out of action for 693 days, undergoing 17 surgeries, facing a career-threatening, no less life-threatening surgery on his knee. Alex Smith came back. On any other day, that would have been unbelievable. But then we also had Dallas's Pro Bowl quarterback suffer a compound ankle fracture and leave the field crying on the same day that Alex Smith came back. That story, obviously, might have been the biggest story of the day. But we also had the Saints Pro Bowl wide receiver, maybe the best receiver in all football, Michael Thomas, punch his own teammate, get suspended for the game Monday night. As if that weren't enough, the defending Super Bowl champion, 49ers, benched their quarterback, quarterback who led them to a Super Bowl last year. And on any other week, that might have been the biggest story of the day. But we also had the Jets and Giants dropping to 0-10. Never happened before, where both New York teams have fallen to 0-10. And the football season there is virtually over. And everybody's wondering if the Jets and Giants can tank for Trevor Lawrence. That night, the Falcons 
fired the coach and GM of a team that blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. And on the other day, that might have been the biggest story. And oh, by the way, Chase Claypool, the Steelers wide receiver, had one of the best days that any Steelers ever had on the offensive side of the football, 24 touchdowns. The Arizona Cardinals lost their best pass rusher, their best defensive player, Chandler Jones, not only for Monday night's game against Dallas, but for the rest of the season. And that all led up to the events of Sunday night where Russell Wilson had a 94-yard drive that was one for the ages in which he reminded me a little bit of Roger Staubach, who was the greatest quarterback I ever watched as a kid. Think about that day. There never has been an NFL Sunday like that. Oh, by the way, eight games were rescheduled in the middle of the day as well. Eight games. We've never seen one rescheduled on a Sunday. So all this was happening as these games were being played. And honestly, it was hard to keep track of. I would say that in my world, the three or four busiest days of the year are the day after the regular season ends when teams fire, head coaches and general managers start their coaching searches and you're getting ready for the playoffs. That Monday and Tuesday are very busy. The first, second days of free agency or the days right before free agency are incredibly chaotic and last from sunrise to sunset and then some. It's a crazy day, nonstop, a sprint. And then there's the first day of the NFL draft, which also is crazy. The Sunday we just went through in the NFL, Sunday of week five, was a Sunday I will never forget. It was a Sunday that I would put up against any of those other days. It was a Sunday in which there was more NFL news on a game day than the NFL's ever had in its 100-year history. All right, before we get into today's episode, I want to tell everyone about another ESPN podcast, Baseball Tonight with Buster Only. With the 2020 World Series just around the corner, make sure you listen to ESPN MLB insider Buster Only as he leads the baseball discussion alongside other top analysts. Download and subscribe to Baseball Tonight with Buster Only, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the host of Mad Money on CNBC, an avid fantasy football player, my friend, Jim Kramer. Hello, hello? Is this my hello? friend, Jim Kramer? Hi! <laughs> How are we doing? Well, I'm nervous. Why are you nervous? Why am I nervous? Because I'm on a show. I'm on the number one podcast for sports in America. <laughs> but but I'm talking to the television personality and host of Mad Money. I should be nervous. <laughs> right? Well, because you know more. You have the inside. You're allowed to have inside information about what's going on, and I'm not. <laughs> a lot of good it's done us on our fantasy teams this year, Jim. Correct. Uh, this has been uh, not a year that I can even fathom. Uh, my top five picks are not uh, with me. Um, many of them, uh, even if they're going to come back, will find themselves not in the lineup uh, or splitting uh, splitting their chores. And there I'm thinking, obviously, about McCaffrey Mike Davis. I'm thinking about a, a guy like uh, Rager that I got. And suddenly there's a guy named Fulgham who's going to take his place. I'm in a situation 
where I need uh, radical surgery uh, or I'm just going to be able to say, you know what, this isn't my year. And I've never been in a situation where this is not my year. It's the first time I'm a three-time Super Bowl winner. I have had just incredible luck. I had the most points scored last year. And now I find myself I, I find myself an also ran, sometimes known as a jag. Yeah. Well, Jim, you know what? Let me say this. Other than Patrick Mahomes, this hasn't been anybody's year. Anybody. Okay. That's the kind but of year it's been. Incredible. You know, how is it possible? I mean, yesterday, because when Dak went down in this crazy schedule where you can pick up people because they're like, you know, they, ha- they don't play till Tuesday, I was able to grab Tannehill. Yeah. But then I started thinking, there's, you know, what happens? Do they decide that it's not just going to be fines? Do they decide that, you know what, Tennessee, you're out of game? I mean, maybe Tennessee should be out of game. No, nah, that's not going to happen. That's How do you know? No, I think they'll be they'll be disciplined. I think they'll be fined. I won't be surprised if they lose draft picks or a pick. But they're not going to say to Ryan Tannehill, you're suspended or your team forfeits or whatever it is. I mean, and by the way, if they do, and I'm not expecting that, then Jim, you go pick up another quarterback. I know, and quarterbacks are fungible with the exception of the fact that I had Dak. And, it, you know, just may I say that I am a yeah, cowboy hater, yeah. but I want Dak to get better like tomorrow. And that was one of those things. Uh, I, I did not like Joe Theismann, even when he played at South River uh, in high school when he was Joe Theismann. Uh, but after that accident, I became a Joe Theismann fan. So these are accidents. They're not even just, you know, they're not injuries. They're accidents. They're were, raised were you, to that, that group. Were you, were you watching the DAC play live as it unfolded? Yes. And I couldn't understand it because it looked like one of those ACLs. Like, how did he go down? Of course, you didn't. The, the camera angle was such that you only saw his side. You didn't see what's going on the other side. But what was very clear was it was almost as if, there's a movie uh, that Ronald Reagan was in called Where's the Rest of Me? Yeah. And it was almost as if that he looked at his leg and realized that his ankle was no longer attached to his body. And, and when you have that sudden recognition that you just had an Alex Smith-like career ender, except for he did come back, you realize, like, oh, my God, how are they going to reattach my foot? And, that is, and, and what we didn't see, obviously, was the compound side where, it went, where the bone went through. So it was one of those just incidents that suddenly disappeared, and I did not see it until ESPN.com actually ran it later on in the day, Uh, and it was sickening. Uh, I watched it once, and then I I just told uh, Lisa, my wife, you can't look at this. This is just too horrible. Well, you saw – you could see where the compound fracture was, right? It looked like there was a – I I don't need to be the graphic here, but his leg looked – aside from the fact that his foot was turned one way sideways right. and it looked like there was something coming out of his calf or something like that right there something was like there was it, it was just brutal i mean you know watch. it was gruesome it was gruesome and these are tough guys and, and the pain he's not crying because of the pain he's crying because of the season because of who he is his pride and you know what he's not crying because of the contract i mean there were people immediately said to me boy was he dumb you know he didn't get the big contract he went for the one time yeah. Uh, and I just say, will you just stop it for one second and recognize that this is a man of great pride who um, gives it all. He hasn't missed any games. And you would be so you would be so unhappy if, it, if you were on your team. 
because he gives it to at a level that almost no player does. And I, I think we all personally have to sit back and just say, you know what, this is a man who takes everything seriously and is not motivated by money. He's motivated by a W. You know what's amazing? You know what's amazing about watching him go down, Jim? If that were you or me, well, if it was me, I could speak for me. I would have been pounding the ground, hysterical crying in pain. And he was so matter of fact about just like motions the training stick, come on out. You know, I've got a compound fracture of my ankle, my foot's like he was so relaxed. I get into any trouble, there's any I bang my thumb and I'm crying. Like I'm I'm, I'm the biggest baby. That guy, the way oh, he no, had, I, I didn't know, this was it, this was one where uh I would have been screaming for butte. I mean, one time I got I was in the islands in the Dominican Republic and I hurt my back. And the doctor said to me, listen, I got – he brings out this uh, a needle that's the biggest needle I've ever seen. He goes, I'm going to give you Butte. I said, Butte's a horse tranquilizer. He said, well, that's what you need. I mean I hope they have horse tranquilizers there because what he needed more than anything else is ketamine. Uh, when my uh, my wife's uh, dislocated arm, they had to pull it back. You know, They pulled it, snapped it back, and she was out for six – for about six months. It was the type of thing that I think that uh, uh, that – I saw someone once have it on the Baltimore Ravens. He came back in the second half. My daughter had it. My daughter had to have her foot had to have her foot rebuilt by the Giants coach, a Giants doctor, and she was in a wheelchair for two weeks. Really? Yeah, she was in a wheelchair. I mean, an actual wheelchair, not a boot, because every tendon had to be reattached because it was going the wrong way. So, I mean, I know that that Dak is never going to be in a wheelchair. Um, but that's how bad this injury is. Yeah. And what was it like for you to watch it as a diehard Eagles fan who has Dak as your fantasy quarterback? Well, my first it's so it's so interesting you say that because this is the problem with the discipline of fantasy. The first thing that did go through my mind, because I didn't see the actual I didn't realize how bad it was, was you know what? We just got some W's. We're okay. We, you know, this is me. You know, th- we're back in the game. Uh, and then I said, "Hold on, we're back in the game." Wait a second. Dak's given me 13. Um, he has run the table. He's given me 28, 29. He's the best quarterback in the league. I'm now going to lose every game. And then I said, "Wait a second. And I immediately, while he was in the court, while he was in the court, and you know that because I texted you. I picked yeah. up Tannehill. So I was able to um, to salvage the season because remember the last seven games, Tannehill was the top five quarterback last year, and and I felt then I said I breathed a sigh of relief and then I went right back into the mode of okay let's see how bad this guy's hurt, and then when you start hearing that he's going to the hospital, then you start feeling you know what I danced on his grave by picking up Brian Tannehill interesting immediately and being so excited for the Eagles, and it, it just. That's not how you want to win, Adam. It's not how you want to win. No. You want to win, you want to beat Dak, and you want to beat Zeke. You don't want to beat Dalton, who I've never liked. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, I know Dalton's gotten to the playoffs, but uh, I don't think Dalton's a gamer. Yeah, I I think you're going to be proven wrong there, Jim. Really? I think, think, and in fact, we talk about this in the next segment of this podcast with the ESPN uh, analytics guru, Evan Campbell. I think Andy Dalton is underrated, underappreciated, and it has been skewed against him because of the situation that he was in. How about that? Well, hold it just a second because of what you just said. You know what I'm doing. You're picking him up right now as we speak. Of course I'm picking him up right now. Are you kidding me? 
I'm gonna now I'm gonna drop that son of a Russell Gage has been a gigantic disappointment to me. Okay, he means too, nothing he's to being me. dropped this week. Yeah, he's on my team too, and I'm dropping him. Oh yeah. Now, do you think that Fournette's ever gonna do anything? You always yeah, want I, running backs, right? Yeah, yeah. Listen, running backs are hard to come by. You want to hold on to Leonard Fournette right now, although Ronald Jones is running very hard and he's earned. Oh my God, Ronald Jones is having the season of his life. And I just can't believe that, that, that I somehow, somehow ha- have uh, had the number two guy. That's all I need, right? Well, Fournette was probably moving into the one role. Then he got hurt. And Jones has reestablished himself, much like Mike Davis has earned some playtime in Carolina, despite how great Christian McCaffrey is. So you want to just hold I, on. I think McCaffrey's going to have to split time now. I, I think he is. Split time. No. Right? But Mike Davis is going to get some work, and he should, right? And by the way, that would be to the benefit of Christian McCaffrey and his long-range health, preserving him a little bit. You want to do that with the guy. You can't have him have the workload that he had last year. That's no, no, guy. you're right. But I just want to be, you know, he's Mr. Red Zone. I need that. Well, you'll 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 get you'll get production. I think you'll be fine. I can't yes, believe I, you said that Dalton's good. I've got now Tannehill and Dalton on my. You don't want both those guys. I mean, uh, as it is, I picked up Madison today. Madison will play this week, I believe. I don't think that. I know. I mean, look, maybe I'm just streaming them, but they, hey, that's you okay. You people when you want in your league like that? that? Like, there's no waivers? You have to wait for a period? No, we have waivers, but I think I'm going to get them because I'm always optimistic. I mean, yeah, then I wake up. I'm not, listen, let me ask you something. Because of the Tuesday night game, am I going to not know who I have until Thursday? I, I, it's funny you said that. I was just going through the commissioner of both my leagues, and one of my leagues – the waiver is absolutely running tonight, and my other league, we think it's being pushed back, but we're waiting to hear. So I don't know. <laughs> Every league's different. I don't know how this is working. Oh yeah, I'm on ESPN, of course. Yep. And I it just it worries me. Back. I think it's yeah, it worries back. me. Hey, well, you know what though? You want some reality and not fantasy? Yeah. Okay. There's an outfit because I always come to play called Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. It just came public last Friday. All right, you ready? It's a $10 per share. All right? Everyone likes a $10 stock who's listening. It is run by, let's see if you know this. The chief executive is a fellow by the name of John Collins. Oh, he used to be in the NFL, then ran the Titans, then went to the NHL. John's a good guy. Exactly. He's the CEO. The CFO and chairman is my old friend, Eric Grubman. Uh, Another good guy. I like Eric, too. Exactly. So you've got a chairman and CFO that we all love. He was executive vice president of the NFL. We have John Collins, CEO, uh, who is you know, he was the chief executive officer of the Cleveland Browns, senior executive at the NFL. And they have put together a company. They've raised uh, a half billion dollars. Okay. Actually, there is just uh, – well, right now they have $350 million. They're going to lever that up probably 10 times. $3.5 billion, and they are going – this is called a, a special acquisition corp, they, a special purpose. They are now going to take the money and buy things, okay? And their their experience is so great. You know, these are guys that know everybody. They know sports data analytics. They know sports betting. Think about that. They know e-gaming. There could be an e-game trade. They know ticketing. They own this company called OLE that they sold to William Morris. Uh, yep. They know the Fanatics. Uh, they know, but they also know Facebook, Microsoft, Apple. This is a good stock to own. A good. So you're recommending that to our listeners today, huh? I am recommending this right here, right now. 
symbol is S E A H dot U. Yep. Um, so I think it's not on Robinhood. Some places don't don't let you buy. I don't know what the hell is that about. But this is a, a play. As I talked to Eric, Eric used to be my neighbor. I know his kids uh, and his wife Betsy. And Eric is saying all his life he has had to work for other people. Okay. Um, and he's never been. I mean, he was a you know, he uh, was a power powerful guy at Goldman Sachs. Um, he ran Baltimore Gas and Electric, which is uh, the uh, old version of Constellation Energy, which is a utility. He saved that company and sold it. He was a commander in the U.S. Navy. He negotiated all the big uh, TV deals when he was at, at the uh, NFL. Um, and he's also a great guy, a great dad, a great husband, and a fabulous businessman. I'm not allowed to own stocks, but if I were, I would buy Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. I, I I I may hang up from this podcast. You'll get Andy Dalton, and I'll get Sports Entertainment Corp. Right? Well, Andy Dalton's worth a lot less than Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. But uh, I have to tell you, this is the most discouraging year I have had because I had McCaffrey, I had Dak, I had Dak Prescott. Um, then I had uh, I I had I had Goddard. I thought Goddard would be good for a couple. Godwin apparently, but his bell's been rung. He's still he's still an O. Godwin. You're, you're, you're I don't know when Godwin comes back. Well, let me ask you this question. You mentioned you being optimistic. Your team is battered. Do you, are you optimistic that we're going to? Well, I'm optimistic because I picked. I'm optimistic because I happen to have made some very shrewd moves. I picked up Jamison Crowder, who is just on fire. Oh, he's great. He's fantastic. Uh, yeah. And by the way, you know, don't laugh at this, Devontae Freeman. And why do I like Freeman? He, first of all, he's an every down back. But even better. He blocks, and that's what they need because they have such a terrible O-line. And then I picked up Kareem Hunt, and if you ever notice, because of his indiscretions off-field, I don't like to mention him. But Kareem Hunt is putting up points. Uh, so I got him after, you know, I, I picked him like on the 10th round. So, well, the guy has been complaining about? What are you complaining? You had a good team. Well, I've had to put this together. It's piecemeal. <laughs> so you know, I'm like Howie. I'm like Howie <laughs> Roseman. Some of these guys are on the couch. I have couch guys. <laughs> Your team is still good. It's still strong. It's still viable. Well, it's, building, it, it's gelling. The team is gelling. Okay. What? I have Christian Kirk, who's not what we thought last year. You know that. And He's you not. loved him coming to the season. You loved him. I picked him because you loved him. Well, I still love him. He's giving you 12. Yeah, but here's just... one that I got. Instead of having uh, uh, Claypool, I had the unfortunate – Triple teamed Juju Smith Schuster. I think we were triple teaming him. Quadruple oh, teaming him. Chase Claypool looks Meanwhile, like the stock market is so hot. Why? Why is that? Okay, okay. I'm going to tell you why it's so hot. Because no matter who wins for president, it's good. Why? Because most of the big companies in tech do business in China, and the president has wreaked havoc on China. So that business comes back, and you start seeing major companies – I'm talking about big companies – that start doing much better because now they're back doing business in China. And I'm talking about Microsoft and NVIDIA. I'm talking about advanced micro devices. I mean, uh, you know, uh, these are really good companies, and, and I could give you a list of, of, of so many semiconductor companies. 3M, by the way, is going to do – DuPont is going to do much better. Um, Starbucks is going to do much better. Nike. Go buy Nike. How about Costco? Yep. Well, Costco. Can you imagine? Um, Win Win Resorts. 
Las Vegas fans, they're all going to be able to do a lot of business if Biden wins. And if Trump wins, you know, nobody has to pay taxes. Who's rich? You know, that's his rap, right? Right. That's his so, rap. So the, so the economy is is going up no matter what it's happens. It's getting better. J.P. Morgan reported this morning. Business is very good there. The stock had already run, so you didn't get much. City, Citibank reported business is very good there. Um, the only businesses that aren't any good are the, uh, uh, the airlines, uh, retailers, uh, and oils. So you like this it. is you an like exciting it. time in the market, much more exciting than the NFL because there's no COVID. <laughs> so, and do you think we'll be able to get through a full football season with what you know, speaking to bioreference labs, which does all the testing and all your institutional? I have in my hand uh, a handheld PCR machine by a company called Visby, V-I-S-B-Y, that the NFL is going to be using. And it's a one-time only thing. See, right now, what people don't realize is the PCR, which is Bioreference Labs, that machine is the size of a big sofa. So, you know, you always hear people are sending out their samples. Well, that's because, the, you know, you don't have room for the big sofa. They, they don't have it. Well, this Israeli guy who's a genius has come up with a company that was approved last week by the FDA for emergency use, where for $150, you can take your – for PCR, remember, this is not an instant, instant test for antigens, which is what the Abbott is. The people don't like that. The president likes it. This is a molecular test. It's the same test that they give to the athletes from bioreference except for if you get the results in 15 minutes. So what they'll do, and this is going to happen next, is an hour before the game, they'll, they'll give you a VISPY, or that morning they'll give you a VISPY. And that's when you'll find out whether you're playing or not. It's much more, it's much better than what BioReference can add. I happen to love BioReference. They're a really, really good company, and they did the NBA. But this new handheld thing is just incredible, and the, the NBA loves it. How far away are we from NFL teams having the VISP to use? On well, the, the problem is um, the guy who runs it is a good guy, and he said, look, I have to give as many as I can initially to nursing homes because when a person in a nursing home tests uh, test positive, they got to very quickly isolate that person and see where, who else has it. But he'll be there. He says he's ready, mm -hmm. um, and they'll be able to get it. The NFL will get it. The NFL needs this. The NFL is testing every day now. Remember, they, they started by testing three. Then they went to five. Now they're testing every day. One of the reasons they want to test every day is because they wanted to demonstrate that uh, I think this is what uh, BioReference said. You know, this is pretty serious stuff. I mean, you, you can't go and be doing – they didn't mention this to me, but you can't go do those, you know, pickup games like, uh, like the Titans did. That, that was dumb. It was really dumb. Now, I don't know. How's Cam doing? How's he feeling? I think he's going to be back this week. I expect him to return. I, I believe he'll play against Denver. I don't think it'll be an issue. That's that's my expectation. We'll see how the week unfolds. Is anyone symptomatic who has it in the NFL? Isn't it all, everyone asymptomatic? They don't know they have it, so therefore they just feel like they should play. It, it seems that way. It feels that way. I've not heard of a case. Like in talking to the Titans about how their people were feeling, everybody for 24 to 48 hours felt a little tired and worn down. But none of the players that got it, to my knowledge, as of last week, got overly sick. Nobody got overly well, sick. Well, there it is. I mean, that's the biggest problem is that no, the people – and I have a lot of friends, by the way, who have had it. And some of them are, were, were incredibly sick and went into the ICU. And other guys only found out they had it by taking the test 
to see if they had the uh, antibodies. antibodies. So you can imagine, you know, when you have no Titans positive, well, I mean, that game is going to play. Yeah. But, but, but nobody knows the effect that the virus will have on you long term, though, Jim. Like, you keep hearing well, things. Now, that, oh. I, spoke with the, I spoke with the doctors um, at the Mayo Clinic who greenlighted uh, the Big 12. And they said that the possibility of heart damage is so small versus the suicide damage that players would have. Because they didn't have what you know, they didn't. They lost their really their livelihood. Uh, they made that decision that there would be more people committed suicide, basically, than there and depressed than there would be people who are going to have heart heart illness. And now the Big Ten had one one uh, medical guy who said, "Listen, listen, this is definitely going to cause heart heart damage." And the Mayo ultimately prevailed versus that professor. What, what about That's any God. lasting effect on the brain at all? Do we do we know that? Like people said, I that. think I don't there know is, but you know, we're pes- I'm a pessimist. I think there is, uh, and the reason I say that is because we know so little about this thing still that we're kidding ourselves. I mean, do you know that the way it is most transferred is by aerosol? It's literally by you yelling in a room. I mean, it, 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 you you screaming in a room, and then that. Just lifts and goes to whoever is uh, nearby. I mean, so like we have these restaurants that are open. I'm talking about this today on my you know bull market fantasy show that I do on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That people don't seem to realize that if you're really going to go to that Miami game, you know, with all those people, you're going to get sick. You are going to get sick. You're going to go to the men's room and get sick. You're going to have people yelling and get sick. This is not good, Adam. See, it's going to be but, a super spreader event. Yeah, yeah. See, but you're you're talking about how the long range impacts are minimal, and and we're talking about how the players have been asymptomatic. Nobody seems to be overly sick, and yet I know that you are scared of this virus. So where scared? is the truth in all that? I am so frightened of this virus that I wear um, that there. I you know I go to a party. If I see 10 people there, I turn around. I have not been out to dinner since March. My wife lives in the Hamptons. I live in Summit. I don't – I go to the office every day, and then I go home. I haven't been to the supermarket. I have someone pick up my groceries because I don't want to go to the supermarket. It's my wife's uh, 55th birthday in three weeks, and I made a reservation at a place that I know has already said, listen, we are the most socially distant restaurant in America, and I just – am scared to death to go anywhere because my driver, yes, I have a driver, most fortunate, my driver caught it. I was wearing an N95 mask, which prohibits me from getting it, um, and he spent four weeks in the ICU, and he, when he woke up, he thought it was 1972. So, see, see, so that tells you how severe the virus is, and, but it feels like it impacts everyone differently. I mean, it's, that's, I don't know what to make of it. None of these players have been overly sick. Your driver was in the hospital for four weeks and I like that's crazy, Jim. I think that uh, that the the false sense of security that some people have. I mean, I just think when I see uh, when I see those little clusters at the stadium, I applaud those people. Those are people who are who are family members and they're all wearing masks. That's great. But when we get sixty thousand people, uh, unless they've been tested, the idea um, what we're going to see, and I think at the Super Bowl. Is I'm betting that bio that that uh, bioreference labs will test everyone, and that the Super Bowl will be COVID free, 
And so we can just have the time of our lives. Full crowd? No way. No way. Full crowd. Full oh. crowd. Fully tested. Everybody tested. That's the way it's going to be. Wow. Don't you love I, I, you it's think a COVID-free zone. We're going to go there, be able to scream our darn full heads off, and not get it. Because everyone will be tested before they got there. That sounds a little idyllic to me, but I hope you're right. I, I, I got a feeling I'm right. I got a feeling they're going to be able to do mass testing, and we will know that the person we're sitting next to does not have COVID. And that's why it's going to be the greatest Super Bowl because it's going to be – that's why they have to keep playing. They have to have a Super Bowl. I mean that's the one thing we know that they have to do. They have to have one. Oh, I think they're going to soldier on and continue to do that. We've seen the NFL do that already. We've seen baseball do it. I think they're going to continue to do it. There will be disruptions and interruptions. It's inevitable, but they're going to keep marching on. That's what I believe. Like they're not going to stop. Okay, but what do you have to check? Code? Do you check COVID every day when you go to work? Do you check your your teams? Uh, meaning, what do you, do I check my? Well, team? I mean, like, are you like call around saying, "Hey, listen, does anybody oh. have COVID? Does anybody have COVID?" So that you yeah, beat, so you beat everybody else people, in that story. There are people you check in with to see if any test cases popped up this morning. If you run a college, okay, they usually give you a statement probably between eight and nine, yep. and it tells you whether anyone has it, yep. and then you go to work. And they, sometimes they just pool pool the stuff. And then if they have it, they have to give everybody individual tests. But if nobody has it, they don't need to do that. Hmm. Well, do you think there's players, players right now, who know that they expose themselves, or do you think that does everyone just have a routine like I do, where they go home, they go to work, they go home? Do you think these guys no, actually go no. out? No, they don't. I, I, oh yeah. I, well, I think I think I think there are certain players. Um, listen, who are who are 23, 24, 25, who are single, who are doing what 23, 24, 25-year-old single guys would do. Right, Jim? I think, right. That, I, mean, I think that's going on. In fact, I remember I had somebody this summer right before training camp, they were talking about somebody I know, they were arranging for a woman to be flown in for a play. I'm like, are, are you serious? I'm like, I'm like, can you tell this guy? Like, he's out of his mind. And they're like, out of his mind. I, I, I told them, and he doesn't want to listen. And so I have no idea how much of that is or isn't going on. I'm a 53 year old guy. I'm married. I'm in my house. Like, what do I know? But I'd be naive. Well, that's the thing. We're very far removed from, from them. Okay. We're very far removed. And you know that not everybody's a choir boy in the NFL. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who just think, you know what? They'll never know. They'll never know. And you know what? It's not like that. I mean, the PCR test is 100% accurate. They're going to know. It's not like they're going to test and it's like 80% and they're going to get away with it. I mean, it's not like that. It's almost like they they think it is. Jim, they don't know know that that someone flew in a woman, met a woman. It could be that the guy went to the market and got it. No one knows. Well, I mean, you know, but you have to have somebody do everything for you. You can't be exposed. Um, and these guys make plenty of money, and they have to do it that way. And if the league isn't – or if their team isn't going to the supermarket for them, they're crazy. You have to have people who've been tested who make it so that these guys are never doing anything during the season other than practicing and watching Netflix. Hmm. That's what they have to do. I mean uh, this thing is – I mean we've had instances at CNBC, uh, and um, you know, you just pray that you don't have it. I've been quarantined twice. Twice. 
it, twice. And you know, when I get quarantined, what happens is I go to um to Quag, my where my wife is. That we have a little uh, sh- we have a little pool house, and she puts food out in front of the the door. And then I get it. This is actually what happened for seven days in my life because I didn't find out until, uh, for five days that the guy had it that I was next to. And you know, I, I wasn't allowed out except for to get tested, and I got tested four times, and each time I did not have it. But we see from what happened with uh, – we see what happened with the Titans that you don't – it's not like you, you, know, you, you go test and you're fine. You can go test the next day and you're not fine. So I think there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of people who just don't get how virulent this is, how powerful it is, how it can really wreck your life, and they are acting as if it's the flu. And it didn't help that the president acted like it's the flu. You can't get that Regeneron. I was offered to be in the Regeneron test if I got sick, but now I don't want to do it because everyone will look like, oh, Kramer's friends with Regeneron. Yeah, but there are people that just don't believe in the virus, Jim. They just don't believe. Yes, believe oh, it. there's a lot of virus deniers, and the president oh, wow. didn't make you feel. And they're virus deniers until they get the virus. And then they're not deniers anymore. Yeah, and then they're fine. Yeah, they're really good. You know, my wife is in the student life committee at Bucknell, mm-hmm. and Bucknell fortunately only has 18 people. But what they did was they rented a hotel for the year so that they can put anybody who has it into the hotel. That's smart. I think that that the NFL, every single city, every single team, they should rent a hotel, and you know during the during the you know rent the rent the Rittenhouse in Philadelphia or whatever. I mean, I, they got four seasons there, and store the players there, and on a different floor store the players who have COVID, because this thing is not going away, and we are going to find a team that is not going to be able to play. They're not going to be able to field a squad. That is what I think is going to happen. Okay, so how so. If it happens that way, the way how are we getting a full crowd at the Super Bowl? Like you're telling me two different things. Where well, you're telling me a team's gonna be shut down, and you're telling me we're gonna have a full stadium in Tampa for the Super yeah, Bowl. It takes they get an L. They get an L. Yeah. We don't know who gets the W. That's yeah. why I can't figure out who gets the W. Well, but they get an L. Okay, but again, for a team to be shut down, that means there's outbreaks. That means they still don't have control of it. That means they're not dealing with it the right way. But yet the NFL is going to handle 70-plus thousand fans or whatever it is in Tampa? Well, that's you know that's up to the teams. It's up yeah. to the owners. That's stupid. I guess Steve Ross, maybe he's a denier. He's a very smart, good guy. Um, but I'll tell you, remember what's coming. The winter. Oh, no. The winter. We don't have a vaccine. We don't have one. They, they, they help that right now the Johnson Johnson vaccine trials on hold because somebody got sick in the thing. I mean, I want to get in that damn trial. They wouldn't let me because I had gotten a shot for a, a partially torn rotator cuff, and you can't take a steroid. Anyone who's listening, do not take a steroid shot, shot because none of the guys will let you take the vaccine if that's the case. So, so where where is the light at the end of this tunnel? Is there a light? Do we have any light at all, Jim? Yes. First quarter, we're going to have a number. Of uh, we'll have a number of vaccines that people take, and we also will have something that's therapeutic that can be available for 1.5 million Americans. So if you get tested on Wednesdays, as I do, and it turns out that on Thursday I find out that I have it, on Thursday evening I'll be able to get uh, a drip that will make it so that the viral load will go down and I'll be feeling better and ready to roll by Saturday. 
And that may be – that may apply to all the people in the NFL. They have to go and not look like pigs. I don't know how they're going to not look like pigs to get it. But they can go to Eli Lilly and get it. Eli Lilly's got a lot of it. See, like I've got my daughter. We sent her back to school last week for the first time last Wednesday. She was there three days before my wife and me decided, you know what, there, there are things there that we're not comfortable with. And she's now back home again. And Well, that's smart. You think that's smart? Well, my question is, my question is, when the hell is she going to be able to go back to school? When the hell are any – these kids going to be able vaccine. to vaccine. Nothing so, in this country is going to be the same until we get the vaccine. Now, we do have four really good companies all making the vaccine, and one of them is going to hit the jackpot. And I think it's going to be, gonna I think it's gonna be Glaxo Sanofi uh, because they know how to do Glaxo, – Glaxo knows how to do vaccines to the best, and Sanofi is a company that really understands how to be able to make a booster. And that's the one we're going to take. I think that, and then secondarily, it'll be Pfizer. Third will be Johnson Johnson, and fourth will be Moderna. Those are the four. Uh, Moderna does have a trial right now in New York. I've opted not to be in that one, but I do think that we, one of those four is going to pay off. So that's okay. It's like four. It's four races. It's four horses in the Breeders' Cup. Well, we we, we need that to come through, and we need it to come through soon. We need it to come through before your waiver wire moves come through. Like we need that. Oh right my now, God! Yes, we need that. Oh right my now. God! Yes. I mean, I you know, can I get this guy Fulgham? I mean, you know, he's Howie's best. Yeah, I heard about him two Howie weeks ago. I heard about him two weeks ago. The players in practice were saying against San Francisco, he's going to go for 100 yards. I said to somebody, "Watch his Fulgham guy tonight." And of course, he caught the touchdown pass that he did, and then he did it again. And now I wonder, is this guy for real? He's for real. He's no flash in the pan. He's really? for real. Yeah, he's for real. Um. You know, he's hard to cover. He's got great he, – he, yeah. he can really jump. Can you imagine if there was any other receiver on that team? They just got Hightower did a terrible job last week. Uh, they need – you know, I don't know what's with Ertz. I guess he's being double teamed. He does not look sharp. But if, if, if you were to tell me that Alshon was ever going to come back undisclosed, uh, undisclosed illness – or that Deshaun was going to come back and that he actually uh, – his body could be preserved, then this guy, this guy Fulgham is going to be open, and it's just going to be a field day. Well, that, unfortunately, we played Baltimore next, and I think Baltimore is a very tough team. I'm going to leave you with this story I, I didn't get to share with you, and I was going to share it at the end of this podcast, but I figure there's nobody that will appreciate it and enjoy it as much as you. So okay. on my one-in-three ESPN fancy team in a 16-team league, for sources, I headed, in, I, I headed into uh, which lost Dak Prescott on Sunday, of course. Yeah. Um, I headed, and not only did I lose Dak Prescott, but I've had Michael Thomas as my first round pick, and he got oh, benched. He was ruled out Sunday at two thirty when I already had Chase Edmonds and Christian Kirk in action on my bench, and I couldn't play them. So I had to scramble at two thirty, uh, drop somebody and pick up. I was shocked he was in the wire. Preston Williams, who went for twenty. Now my opponent, hmm. my opponent, my opponent lost Melvin Gordon because the Broncos Patriot game was postponed till this week. Right. He had to play Alexander Madison on Sunday night. So what happens? <laughs> Dalvin Cook gets hurt, and what is he went for one ten, didn't he? And Madison goes for sixteen points. So I head into Monday night's game. I'm going to give the exact numbers, Jim. Okay. I am beating him one fifteen. Point six four to one hundred four point four six. I am up eleven points on him, basically. Oh. 
He's oh got going Monday night. This is a true story. Keenan Allen. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Hold oh, on. my God. A first touchdown drive, in the first, first drive, before listen, the game began, he had a touchdown. Listen, listen. First drive, Keenan Allen catches a pass for 12 yards. Then he catches the touchdown. I'm in the ESPN studio. We just finished Monday Night Countdown. I see Keenan Allen catch a touchdown pass. I pop my fist on the table. I turn to my producer, my researcher, and I said, I just lost. I just lost my weekly game. I cannot believe that. He got Alexander Madison. I lost Michael Thomas. I lost Jay Zeman. I lose. So I, oh my said, God. I, I said, let me just see how much I lost by. So this I, is so I, not you, Adam. It's just, flip, you're a winner, Adam. You're a winner. You're I not flip, a loser. I flick on the score, and it says right after Keenan Allen scores, I'm winning 115.64 to 115.36. And I said, okay, well, Keenan Allen now needs .28. I've lost. I thought it was over. I thought it was ahead of me. Like, he got a touchdown. And so, all of a sudden, I'm watching the monitor, and I see Keenan Allen stretching on the bench. And I'm like, what is going on there? And then I see he's not getting his helmet. I said, what is going on there? And, the field, and he doesn't come back on the field. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. And so, <laughs> they attention my boss, Seth Markman, he goes, this is an unbelievable development. This is an all-timer. Well, long story short, <laughs> I won by point two eight because Keenan no, Allen you didn't. Never you won because Keenan Allen didn't come back in. <laughs> never came back. Oh in. my God, was he on the sidelines and not in the in the locker room? And you just he thought had, he might come back? And he he had oh back spasms, and they didn't play him the rest of the game. They rested him. He had back spasms. Did back you put a hex on him? Was that a hex? Well, the joke is the joke is that they they were joking that I texted the Chargers to hold him out, but I did not do that. Like. Seth Markman, my boss, wants a full investigation because last week I had him by four points and he had Devontae Adams against the Falcons. And then Devontae Adams declared himself out. You're you're playoff bound. You're playoff bound. I've got to tell you, you're playoff bound. Well, listen, Chris Berman calls it, I I think the word he uses, 21st century bullshit. And so that's what he calls fancy football. Well, Last night was the ultimate example of that, a .28 victory in a game in which Keenan Allen left after he scored a touchdown, and I held on. Oh, my God. That is – you're the luckiest man. You're the luckiest man on the face of the earth. That's yeah. what they say about you. Luckiest yeah. man on the face of the earth. I'm a winner, and so are you. You're a winner. All right. Well, I love you. I love um, you and, you know, to me, this is a year where, once again, you've helped me immensely, and i got to go to work. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. I love you, my friend. Okay, I love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's what my conversations with Jim Cramer are like all the time. We met when he made an appearance on ESPN, I would say six, seven, eight years ago. We have remained close friends since then. I talked to him about fantasy football. He talks to me about financial issues and matters. And I love the man. He's passionate, brilliant, intelligent, just love the guy. And we just talk and can talk for hours and do that all the time. So I'm glad everybody got to listen and hear what a typical conversation between Jim and I is like. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.
And now, the former Eagles linebacker, Connor Barwin. Hello. Connor. How you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I appreciate you joining me. Thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Yeah, of course. The last time I believe I saw you was on the train from Philadelphia to New York, correct? That is a great memory. That's right. <laughs> you were with, I would assume, your girlfriend, wife. I don't know your connection to the woman you were with, but... Yeah, my wife. Your wife. See that? You guys are going to New York, and I was coming back from the day in Philadelphia, and uh, that was the last time I believe I saw you. What, what time of the year was that? Was I still with the Giants, or was I done? You know... I'll tell you what, I keep a journal, Connor. I'd have to go in and find it, but you would be in my journal as having seen you, having spotted you on the train and talked to you briefly. Um, I'm going to guess that that was roughly six, seven years ago. I think you were probably – you might, oh, you might have been playing in Philly still. Yeah, that, that's what I would think. Look, you were at the Rams in 2017 and the Giants in 18, and you were at the Eagles from 13 to 16. I'm going to guess it was in that time range. That's my guess. So wait. Wait, let me ask you, you keep, a, you, you keep a journal every day? Every day. And have. How long have you been doing that? I have, I have every single day of my life documented since 1990. How long are the entries and when do you write in it? They are pretty long. Um, they are comprehensive. I, I don't know how to describe it to you in length other than I take you through the entire day. And well, when do you, when do you, when do you write in the morning or at night? I, there's no set time. I could be sitting literally at my desk on a Sunday in the middle of the ESPN Sunday countdown and have 30 minutes to the next segment. I'm like, let me just take 10 minutes here and pound it out and get caught up. Sometimes it'll be before I go to sleep. Sometimes it's the first thing to do in my office. Sometimes it's in the middle of the day. Like, I have not yet done today, and we are recording at 2.30 on Tuesday, October 13th, and I haven't written in it since this time yesterday before I headed into New York City to do Monday Night Countdown, so I have to go back and do the 24 hours. But every day, there is there is not a single missed day. Is it, is it, is it uh, still on paper, or is it digital now? It's all digital. All digital. And I don't know... I don't have any real reason to do it other than I find it to be, well, here are the reasons I do it. I find it to be therapeutic. I find it to be interesting. It's the exact reason, like, hey, I could go search Connor Barwin, and I could tell you the exact day that I saw you on the train and everything that happened that day. Um, and self-reflection is always good for everybody. Oh, yeah, it's great. And a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, I want to see oh, what restaurant did I eat at in LA or when did I see that person or when was the, I mean, and it's there. And it, you know, my wife makes fun of me cause she's like, Oh, or you put down, you went to the bathroom, you know, whatever it is. Um, but it's, it's really like meaningful moments, funny moments, things I want to remember a certain thing I was feeling. Um, but it's all there. And when I wrote a book a few years ago, I was able, I was writing with a guy named Michael Rosenberg, who's a tremendous writer. And when we were going over, when I got engaged to my wife, my wedding, I literally handed him everything, like 9-11, what I went through on 9-11. I just handed him the note. Here, here's, hey, here's my day. It was there. And he was able to extract what, some things for the book. What inspired you to do this in 1990? Um, what happened was, is 
I was going to school in Michigan, and my friends and I, in our senior year, I recognized what a great year it was at Michigan, 1989. And I'm saying, this is the best year I've ever had. Like, I love being with my friends. <laughs> it's incredible. And I'm like, what did we do last weekend? I couldn't remember. Couldn't remember. Hey, what, last month, when we went to the round of 16, when Michigan was playing Virginia, North Carolina, where, where did we sleep that night? Or what did we do that day? Or what was the name of the play? I don't know. And I, I got tired of my life basically being erased and not having a memory. And there are things you find in the journal now, like, oh, my God, I forgot that that happened. Wow. Little things like that. And a lot of it is insignificant, right? Like last week, here's a great example. Last week, I was on the phone with my producers. And we were, we were going to do a bit on Mug and I Countdown this past week in the spirit of what I was doing then and what I'm doing now being that Justin Herbert was making his first Monday Night Football start and talk about what was our first Monday Night Football experience. And Steve Young, of course, had one. And Randy Moss had one. And Booker McFarlane had one. Well, I never had one. But I, my first Monday Night Football game that I ever covered was a Broncos-Chiefs game in 1990 after I got to Colorado. It was the game in which Steve Atwater laid out Christian Okoye and stood over him and said, yeah, you tried, baby. And it was a famous hit. You, have you ever seen that highlight or – Replay or anything like that, Connor? I don't know if you've heard I have that. not. Yeah. And so, and so we thought that my initial Monday night game was 1993. And I was checking the schedule. I said, well, hold on. We, we thought it was October. I said, let me check. And there was a game October 1993. And, and it was funny because <laughs> I'm reading it to my producer. I'm like, oh, let's, here it is. Jeff, Jeff Jager kicking the winning 51-yard field goal for the Raiders. Oh, here, look. I stopped in the press box. I had corn and chicken for dinner, and then we sat down, and after the game ended, I was writing on deadline. It's, it's all there. It's all documented. And it's just kind of cool. Now, I will say this. I don't mean this with any arrogance. It takes a lot of discipline to do it, but it's one of the great things, I think, that I've ever done in my life. And, in fact, after that book that came out, which basically fed off the journal – I went to talk to the headquarters at Twitter one day in the morning, and it was supposed to be all about the book. And I had an hour conversation with the employees there. And that whole conversation was about keeping a journal. And I thought to myself, this book that I put out, um, if it inspires people, some people, to keep a journal, then that book will have been worth it. And there are a lot of people that said to me, I started keeping a journal because I just got tired of not remembering everything in college. Make sense? Yeah. You know, you might, I've, I've kept a journal on and off since I was in high school. My father uh, wrote and always encouraged me and my brothers to write. And so I tried, but I haven't been able to string, you know, longer than a few months together at a time in the last, you know, say 16 years. Um, but I'm hoping this conversation today, and I've actually kind of done it off and on this season, just, you know, thinking about this COVID season and how um, interesting it will be to look back on and don't want to forget all of the kind of interesting points or things that have happened. So I've tried to do it again this year, but I'm going to, I have one final question about this yeah, is what, um, what kind of app or uh, 
tool do you use to write in now? Are you, and do you do it on your iPad? Do you do it on your phone? Like, what are your daily mechanics of doing it? Well, yeah, I'm not technologically swift, right? So when I was at NFL Network, I had it on my computer. And when I went over to ESPN, my concern was, hey, I got all these files for all these years. Can you just transfer this over? And they're like, yeah. So yeah. they put it on their system. It's like backed up on the ESPN system, oddly enough. Okay. And, you know, I'm not planning to leave ESPN, but if I ever leave ESPN, I would have to transfer all those files and get somebody to do that, which, you know, I, I would do that and they would do that. They told me not to worry, you know, about that. But so it's, it's on my ESPN issued laptop through the ESPN system. And um, like I said, you, the way I do it is I do it by year and month. So every year has 12 folders for January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. And I go in there and each day has a star. And, and then we start, you know, Tuesday, October 13th, 2020. And every year is its own file too. So going back to 1990. But let me say this. Some people, some people lay in bed at night and read. I would say take 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and write out what was memorable about your day that day before you go to bed. Done. Or yeah, wake I love up it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back on it. Hopefully I get a couple months here to finish the season. Yeah. Or the, and you know what? Get it like, all documented. You, you, you're right. Kind of like in a year like this, you're going to want to remember. Like 20 years from now, you're going to say, man, talk to your kids family, friends, relatives about what COVID was like. And it'd be great to just look back at that and have it documented. Actually, doc, like, you know, 9-11 was documented for me. And, and, and it's a perfect yep. example of why I keep a journal. Like, everybody remembers where they were. But that's really all they remember about the day. Yeah, but the emotions you had. The ups and downs, a lot of downs, obviously, but yeah, what you were thinking on that day yeah. or that the week afterwards—it's unbelievable to be able to look back and read what you what you wrote. Yeah, it was all—it was all there. It was all there. And again, when I was working with my co-author Michael on this, here's my day. Here's what I was thinking. Like I, I remember, you know, there are certain things you always remember that you don't forget. But I remember laying in bed that night. I was a single guy, 2001, so I would have been at that point in time 30s. 35 years old and I could hear helicopters all night like flying in the sky and I was I, I, I was scared I mean I was scared you know we didn't know what was going on in the country but it was all it's like I said it's all written there so hopefully you will get back to your journal Connor and hopefully <laughs> this inspires somebody who's listening today to start keeping a journal and I just think it's a great tool. Like what's also interesting is when you go back in it and um, you pick a day, I don't know, you, you want to check what, what happened on your birthday 12 years ago. And you're reading about how worried you are about something that now you look at and seems so remarkably insignificant. I mean, it's just, it's, yep, it, exactly. really, it really puts things in perspective. So I wish you the best with that, but that that's not why I reached out to you. <laughs> Uh, this weekend, the reason I reached out to you this weekend is I saw your tweet on Sunday night, and this came after Dak Prescott got hurt, and he went down, and it was hard to watch for everybody, 
it was really difficult. It was, I mean, we, we, all, we all saw the injury. And you tweeted about that at that particular point in time that you had been there. You posted a picture of your foot turned sideways. You wrote, Dr. Varner in Houston did my surgery and recovered with no problems. You'll be back with a prayers emoji. So I just want to know what it's like to suffer the injury that Dak did, to get the surgery that Dak just did, and to embark on the rehab that Dak is about to. Well, um, it's, it's a long process. I'll start with that. And, and like my tweets I, I said is, you know, I, I'm, he's going to be back. And my surgery, my injury was 10 years ago uh, in September. And I'm not a doctor, but I'm sure uh, the surgeons and the surgery has gotten better over the last 10 years. But 10 years ago, the first series of the first game of the season, um, I pretty much did the same thing to my right ankle, complete dislocation uh, and fractured the fibula, uh, which is the outside bone uh, down by your ankle. I did not have a compound fracture, which I, I read Dak did, which I, I think means this, the bone broke the skin. Yep. Um, but I had, I had a major surgery. Um, they put in a plate to, f to fix where the broken fibula was. Uh, they put in about three or four screws, and then they did a tightrope, which is kind of this rope that wraps around your ankle. I had to have another surgery, I'm going to say about six to ten weeks after the first one, to remove some of the hardware. I don't know if they do that anymore. Um, but long story short, it really took me about six months to kind of feel good running on it. And then probably those last three months, uh, four months before we got to the next season was uh, a ton of rehab to get comfortable moving on it. But mine was in September by 12 months later, the September, of the next year, uh, I, I was back to hundred percent. That first season after the injury, I did have to really kind of tape it up pretty good that entire season. Uh, that year uh, was my first year kind of starting. I went on to start every game for eight years after that. Um, had 11 and a half sacks. So it didn't really bother me that first year, but the following year, I completely stopped taking, taping my ankles, didn't tape my ankles the rest of my career. So uh, it's really impressive what, what these doctors can do. And obviously it's going to take a lot of work on, on Dak's press, Dak's uh, side of things with the rehab, but from everything I know about him, he'll be completely uh, committed to it and, and get back to hundred percent. You know, it's funny you say that timeline because I know there are reports of four to six months for him, but when I spoke to some people, they said, yeah, six months, but really he should be functioning by June. Well, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, that's eight, nine months. And that's what I was told. It'd be, you know, closer to nine months, but the expectation was that he'd be fully back, 100% ready for next season. But still, again, he's gonna go through a lot this upcoming offseason, when you saw him get hurt the other night, did you immediately know that it was similar, if not the exact same injury that you had? Yeah, as soon as he rolled over, it was it was it was the same as mine, and I can I'll, I'll forever remember, you know, Antonio Smith falling on my ankle, trying to tackle Joseph Adai, and feeling like my foot just kind of came off the bottom of my foot. And I was like, wow, that was a really bad ankle sprain. And then rolling over and picking up my leg and looking at my foot and my foot hanging sideways and being like, 
oh, that is not an ankle sprain. And then looking to our sideline, and I saw like my Houston sideline, everybody just kind of turned. Um, and then I immediately knew uh, my season was over. You start to think about your career. Um, and just a lot happens in that moment. Um, and then on the field, they come on and they kind of turn it right back to where it was. They put the air cast on it. Uh, exactly how, how it played out uh, for me was what it looked like happened with Dak. That, and I said to Jim Kramer, who was on before you here on this podcast, what was amazing to me was Dak's demeanor at the time where his foot was turned side. Like, he was so calm about it. I was, I had no, when I talk about it with people, there was no real pain on the field. And I think for me, maybe similar for Dak, you're just kind of in shock. I mean, when you look down on your foot and it's pointing the wrong direction, you're just kind of in shock. I didn't, even when they turned it back in place on the field, still wasn't that painful because of the shock. But as soon as I got into the locker room or where they take you right to get an x-ray, that was where just excruciating pain. Uh, and then in Houston, we go to the training room and then they give you some, some, uh, you know, pain meds and then off to the hospital. But for me, there wasn't a lot of pain on the field. The x-rays were terrible pain meds hospital. Uh, and there wasn't pain until after the surgery again. Do you think Dak will be hindered at all when he comes back? Will he be the exact same guy? Will his skills be affected in any way by this injury, knowing what you know? I don't. I think he'll be the exact same guy. He'll probably be stronger for it. My ankle, and uh, it, it really has given me no problems. Uh, I taped it up a lot that first year, as I said, when I came back. But the mm-hmm. second year, I stopped taping it, and it still doesn't bother me to this day. You know, I for me, I took that year, uh, and again, this was my second year in the league. So physically, I took that year and just put on a bunch of weight and got really strong and was a different player when I came back. Dak, you know, doesn't need to do that, but I'm sure just the kind of competitor is competitor he is. He'll take the time to grow as a player, whether it's from the mental part uh, and come back a stronger, better player. Now, Connor, you're currently the special assistant to the Eagles general manager, Howie Roseman. Even in your position, do you reach out to Dak at all to extend wishes, to offer encouragement, to give him advice, knowing that you already have been down this road? Or is that something that you don't do? Well, if I ha- I don't personally have Dak's number, but if I did, I would uh, have sent him a message. Um, you know, you mentioned I sent that tweet out. Maybe he saw it. But I know, you know, there were months there at the beginning that were hard for me. Uh, and I just respect, uh, you know, NFL players and my peers so much that I'm sure at some point, you know, he's going to question this recovery process. And I just want to let him know that, you know, you're going to be fine. You will come back. Uh, again, I've been there and I know he'll come back stronger. Is it a hard rehab? It is. It's it's hard. It's long. It's very painful uh, when you kind of get out of the surgeries and, uh, you know, your ankle. I remember remember my leg looked like a peg, you know, two months after the surgery. And I was like, how can I ever get my right calf to look like my left calf again? Uh, Because it just seems like you lost so much. But over time, slowly, uh, he'll get back to being himself. See, they're concerned. They just want to make sure that no infection sets in this week. And as long as there's no infection, then he's on the Connor Barwin path to get back when we expect him to get back. And I think it sounds like everything went well Sunday night. Everything went well. He got to go home on Monday. 
And here we are on Tuesday. And again, doctors will be monitoring to make sure that there's no infection. As long as there's no infection, uh, then we should see DAC back next year. Hey, Kyle, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I didn't expect that we would be venturing down the journal path as much as we did, but it worked out pretty well. And hopefully you will start doing the exact same thing now. Yeah, thank you. Good talking to you. And there is the former Eagles linebacker, Connor Barwin, with some great insight into what Dak Prescott went through and will continue to go through here in the coming months as we all root for him to make a quick, speedy, and full recovery. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And now ESPN analytics and statistical guru, my friend, my colleague, Evan Kaplan. Evan, once again, we turn to surprise, surprise the quarterbacks because in week six, we've got some historical quarterback matchups. And I think the one that is the headliner would be Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. What do we have there? That certainly would, Adam. And these two quarterbacks have been among the best in the NFL since they really entered the league. And the interesting thing is that because they played in different conferences, they haven't really met that often. So this will only be the third meeting of starters between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. They split the first two meetings, each winning at home. And you go back to since Rodgers became the starter in 2008, they're one, two in wins, Brady one, Rodgers two. They have very similar numbers across the board when you look at their, their touchdowns, their completion percentage, uh, yards per drop back, almost identical. The biggest difference is the Super Bowls, right? Brady three since Rodgers became the starter in 08. He's been there five times. Rodgers only one. And this is what one of the things I found interesting. We, we've had some really close calls with the two of them in the playoffs. So Rodgers' only appearance in 2010, Brady lost in the divisional round. Mm. And twice when Brady was kind of in the Super Bowl, kind of waiting after they had won the AFC Championship, Rodgers and the Packers lost in the NFC Championship. Now they're in the same conference. Will we finally get that playoff meeting between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady? We'll get a nice little preview starting week six in Tampa Bay. I can't tell you how many times I picked the Packers and Patriots to right. win the Super Bowl. And it never happened. It it never happened. Amazing. So now here they go, and they get to meet Sunday. And that'll be a primetime game in the afternoon. I'm sure everybody will be watching. And both guys are playing very well. I know Tom is playing well in Tampa, uh, despite the four-down gaffe there last week in Chicago. Aaron Rodgers has elevated his game, I would think, and expect that he's going to have Devontae Adams back this week in the lineup. It'd be a shock if he didn't. 
at this point in time. So right. it sets up as a really attractive matchup. Another and, attractive one, and one other thing, as you look to, to project ahead, Adam, using our football power index, which kind of ranks every team, changes on a daily, weekly basis, we can tell who we project to kind of reach the conference championship. The Packers are first right now in the NFC. The Buccaneers are fourth. So we've got a decent chance, a ton of football to still be played. But I think the point is these are two of the better teams in the NFC, despite the Buccaneers' inconsistent start. And there's a good chance we can finally see them play uh, in January. Another attractive matchup this weekend will be Pittsburgh versus Cleveland. And ordinarily, Ben Roethlisberger has feasted off Cleveland. He's from Ohio. People have made a lot of that. What do we got on this matchup, Evan? Ben Roethlisberger, 22-2-1 against the Browns. That's the third best record, according to Elias, by QB against a single team in NFL history. Minimum 20 starts. The Steelers have won 16 straight home games against the Browns. Cleveland's last win in Pittsburgh, 2003. Starting QBs in that game were Tim Couch and Tommy Maddox. Mm. Ben Roethlisberger was in his final season at Miami of Ohio in college. And Baker Mayfield was eight years old. Now, that's interesting perspective. It gives you the history. It doesn't really need to say a lot about this year's game, which, in my opinion, rivalry, teams that play in the same division, one of the more interesting, maybe the most interesting game in week six because you finally got the Browns coming into this game. I'm not going to say on an even playing field with the Steelers, but they're four and one. They had a nice one over the Colts in week five. And now we've got another chance to really see, you know, have the Browns arrive, the Steelers, the, you know, along with the Ravens, kind of the, the foundation of that AFC North Steelers four and oh, this, this, Still one of the more amazing notes of the last few weeks. The Steelers are 4-0 for the first time since 1979. Now, a team like Pittsburgh, you would have thought would have started 4-0 at some point. They have not. 4-1 Browns coming into town. Another test for Baker Mayfield and Cleveland. If we can see, can they beat the, – if they beat the Steelers and prove to 5-1, and one, that's really just going to start turning even more heads about Cleveland. Listen, I would not be surprised, Evan, if no, me neither. in a year where – I would not be surprised if in a year where there are seven teams in each conference going to the playoffs, mm-hmm. if the NFC, if the AFC North sent three teams to the playoffs. Totally agree. Couldn't you see Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore all going to the postseason? And if that does happen, by the way, I mean, would there be anybody that would – be a more worthy candidate for coach of the year than Kevin Stefanski. I think Bill Belichick's going to finally get some support here in New England, but maybe Sean McDermott in Buffalo, uh, Pete Carroll in Seattle, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, but Kevin Stefanski with Cleveland, right? That, that to me is going to get some attention. They, they, they made uh, some nice improvements in the off season with their roster, you know, Austin Hooper, uh, Jack Conklin, but, but you look at some of the, the really key players on that team, it's relatively unchanged, right, from last season, mm-hmm. which speaks exactly to your point about Stefanski, what he's brought there, how he's relied more on the running game. He's, he's helping Baker by, make, by letting Baker do less, yeah. I think is one of the main things of that offense. And I totally agree with you. They're off to a great start. Uh, it's going to be fun to see 
kind of how they navigate the rest of the season. This is the Cleveland team we expected to get last year after they traded for Odell Beckham. It's finally it showing up this year, a year later. It is. All the post, all the preseason hype last year. I think we talked about this week one. There wasn't as much this year, right? Not, not, not as none. None. Right? None. And, and now look what's happened, right? They were a little bit under the radar. No one was expecting things of them. Now they're four and one for the first time since 1994. and can get to five and one if they beat the Steelers on Sunday. And then we wrap up week six on Monday night with what I think is a great matchup. And we had an argument, a debate on the set last night. I don't know if you heard this. Do you Were you privy to it? I don't know. No, I don't know if I know what you're referring to. Well, Susie was disappointed that Dak is not playing Monday night. We're all disappointed. I mean, that's a fact. But Booger and I maintained that in a weird way that this makes this matchup even more intriguing because it's the first game for Andy Dalton to step in for the injured Dak Prescott. Look, nobody wants Dak to hurt. We want him to play the game. But there's, to me, an element that you don't – don't you want to tune in Monday night to see how Andy Dalton's going to do with the Dallas Cowboys? I do. Absolutely. It, it's, it's the Cowboys. It's an intriguing game against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, his Monday night football debut. And I think, I think everyone's view of Andy Dalton has gotten skewed by the fact that he was injured late in his time in Cincinnati. They weren't very good. He signed a one-year deal with the Cowboys. Let's remember that Andy Dalton, has played some really good football in his career. Now, since his rookie season in 2011, Andy Dalton is ninth in the NFL in wins. He's ninth in passing yards. He's 10th in touchdown passes. He has 204 career touchdown passes. Over the next few weeks, as long as he stays healthy, here's, here's some of the names he's going to pass on the all-time touchdown list over the next few weeks. Randall Cunningham, hmm. Kurt, Kurt Warner, Matt Hasselbeck, Terry Bradshaw, those those are decent quarterbacks. Played some good football in their days. So my point being, and yes, anyone could poke a hole at that and say Andy Dalton played in the era of passing. I understand that. My point is, this is not a quarterback who has never started in the NFL, who has never had success in the NFL. He is not Dak Prescott, who was playing at a historic level this year, the fourth most yards ever in a player's first five games. He, he was doing it all for the Cowboys. But to your point, We've seen Andy Dalton play some decent football in his career. I'm I am very intrigued to see how this Cowboys offense looks now going forward with him. And I think that it's important, and, and we'll remind people of this on Monday Night Countdown, that Andy Dalton has had success in the NFL. Did he have playoff success with Cincinnati? No, but they got there plenty of times. I like Andy Dalton. I think he's underrated. I think you mentioned the word skewed. I think that's a perfect word. Mm-hmm. Playing in Cincinnati, getting yep. hurt, not winning a playoff game. I think it skewed people on the type of quarterback that Andy Dalton is, and I think he's going to be better than people think. And Kyler Murray making his debut on Monday Night Football after we see Justin Herbert make his debut on Monday Night Football this past week. So that, to me, that makes it also another attractive matchup on Monday Night. And we get a doubleheader. We get the Bills-Chiefs before we get the yeah. Cardinals-Cowboys. Assuming, of course, we should probably say this with everything, the testing goes well this week. I think that probably has to be said as an addendum for every matchup that we get in the NFL now, don't you think? I, I would agree. That that seems to be the caveat for everything. Uh, as long as the testing goes well, we get those matchups. A lot to look forward to 
in week six. I mean, Mahomes, the Bills, they made the whole trade to, to kind of get Mahomes. The Bills originally had that 10th pick in 2017 when the Chiefs traded up. And then you, you, we've, we've kind of mentioned uh, our game on Monday Night Football, Cardinals and the Cowboys. Kyler Murray's got a huge history at AT&T Stadium that we'll cover on Monday Night Countdown, I'm sure, with you know, winning state championships there in high school. He won a college game there. Now he makes his NFL debut there against the Cowboys. Well, I mean, you passed this test this week. We <laughs> appreciate it. We'll see you in the studio Monday night for Monday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys and the Arizona Cardinals. All right, I'm looking forward to it. So there is the ESPN analytics and statistical guru, my colleague, my friend, Evan Kaplan. Thank you very much, Evan. And now we begin to get ready for Monday night. And we mentioned the Andy Dalton signing. At the time when it happened, people wondered why the Dallas Cowboys were signing Andy Dalton, who, again, I believe is an underrated and overlooked quarterback that is going to be better than people think. It turned out, we think, that that's going to be a highly significant signing, highly significant, because he now takes over what should be a playoff team and steps in for Dak Prescott. And Andy Dalton's on a one-year contract, so there's a lot here at stake for him as well as the Dallas Cowboys. But I believe he's going to be up to the challenge. I believe Andy Dalton's going to shine here. And that's my prediction for the week. As I told Jim Cramer, pick him up on your fantasy team. I think he's going to be worth it. I think he's going to excel in that role with all the talent surrounding him. And Dallas's playoff hopes and division title hopes now rest on the shoulders of Andy Dalton. I want to thank Jim Cramer, the host of Mad Money on CNBC, for his time today. I want to thank the former Eagles linebacker, Connor Barwin, for the insights he shared. I want to thank Evan Kaplan for the time he took out to preview this upcoming week. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for, as I always say, putting up with me and putting this all together to make it so that you all can listen. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we'll be back to review week six, look ahead to week seven. Let's hope this week is not nearly as crazy and chaotic as last week, but life in the NFL and a season of COVID is unpredictable and we never know. And until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.